Let's continue worship with a reading from Matthew 21, verses 23 through 32. And when he entered the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will also ask you a question. If you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptismal of John. From where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? And if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. This is the word of the Lord. Look out, Logan. Coming for you, dude. <laughs> Good morning. How, how y'all doing? All right. Nice. My name's Chris. I'm the pastor here at Riverstone. Glad you're with us. Uh, one group that I want to commend to you before we jump into the Bible. Um, I find a group, a small group about spiritual formation. It's called Next Step. I find that uh, most of our biblical knowledge for many people is kind of hearsay. In other words, if, if uh, you might believe in something like the divinity of Jesus or the Trinity or the gospel, but if you ask someone, hey, where does it actually say that in the Bible? They're like, I don't know. I mean, the pastor says it. I heard it in a sermon once. If you feel like a lot of your beliefs of, about Christianity are basically hearsay, you're like you're not totally sure where it comes from, this is a fantastic group for you because it's going to be this kind of biblical foundations group. It's going to meet on Wednesday night starting September 27th, and it's called Next Step. So jump online, check it out, maybe jump in. It's going to be a great thing. Okay, if you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew 21, uh, starting in 23. Today we're going to sit with the scripture that was read, that David read, uh, right after worship. Um, let me pray for us, um, and then we'll jump in. Cool? Yes. All right, here we go. Father, we acknowledge right now your presence in the room. Uh, we uh, just want to kind of get our radars up as to what you might say to us through your scripture right now as we sit together as friends. Um, so come, Holy Spirit. Open our hearts. Open our ears to what you would say to us through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let me give a quick recap. Re Whoa. 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 Why? Why I speak for a living, I don't know. I, here we go. Okay, here we go. Take two. Let me give a quick recap of uh, the... Glad you brought a friend today. Here we go. Um, a quick recap. I can say that of the scripture. Basically, Jesus is being questioned about his authority, 
Uh, that's what we read earlier. He's upsetting the cart, as Jesus often does, and the religious leaders are upset with him, and they're having this kind of classic, who do you think you are conversation with Jesus. That's what we read. Um, I've definitely had conversations like this with Jesus. It's kind of a conversation that we have with someone who um, we think that they are asking more of us than they have the right to ask, or we think that they are acting like they know more than we know about something. Have you ever had a who do you think you are conversation? Um, it's, like, it's like when someone's talking to you and you're like, everything you're saying is illegitimate because of who you are and where you come from. And, and, and we have this in relationships all the time. We kind of erupt in this, who do you think you are, right? And that's literally what's happening in this story, uh, in this occasion with Jesus. It's like when a teacher tries to lecture, um, I'm sorry, a student tries to lecture a teacher on his topic of expertise, right? And the teacher's like, well, that's cute. Now let the adults talk, right? Um, or on the other side of that equation, it's like when I try to give car mechanic advice to my mechanic, you know, and I'm like, dude, I think the flux capacitors, I think it's gone. And, and he's, like, he's like, that's cute, you know? Let the adults deal with it. Um, and here Jesus is untrained, uh, outside of the cultural structures, the religious leadership structures of his day, and he comes in, he starts telling people, this is how spiritual reality really is. This is who God really is, and this is what God really wants. And the experts in the room are ticked, right? Jesus is from Nazareth. Nazareth, y'all. It's like a blue-collar dude from Winder shows up. And he's like, and he's like man, y'all do church all kind of wrong. Y'all don't even know who God is. And we're like, dude, go back to Winder, bro. Listen, Winder's a lovely town, okay? When I was growing up, it was just in the sticks. And so it's like, that's in my, and, and however, have you, uh, you know the Winder Wog? Anyone? W-O-G, Winder Wog. Google it, you're welcome. Okay. Uh, the point is, Jesus is from nowhere, He's a carpenter from nowhere, the back, the middle woods of nowhere, right? And he comes in and he starts acting like he knows all the stuff about God. And the guys in charge are like, who gives you the right? And Jesus brilliantly answers the question by asking them another question. And the question he asks them is about another guy that they thought was unqualified who was stirring up the religious scene. His name was John the Baptist. Now, John was a freak. He was a total weirdo. Like, total weirdo. Lived in the desert, wore, like, camel skin or something crazy like that. He ate locusts, right, honey. He was total weirdo. People, but he called people to repent. And his message stirred the hearts of the people. And droves came out to him to be baptized in his repentance. So I guess he struck some kind of chord with the people. Um, and so Jesus says, you guys tell me, John, was his baptism of God or was he just a crazy guy? Like, y'all heard John preach, right? I mean, he's weird. Was he just talking nonsense? Or was his message from God? What do you think? Now, let's just park here for a second. From time to time, Jesus has the audacity to look you in the eye and say, yeah, yeah, I know what your pastor says. I know what your friends say. I know what your culture says. But what do you say? What do you say? Can God speak today? Yes. What do you think? I know what your pastor says. I know what your friends say. We know what she says. But what do you say? Am I the Christ or am I not the Christ? Is the gospel real or is it not real? Is the church worth committing to or not? 
Am I worth your everything or not, Jesus says. Or in this this instance, is what you see before you God at work, or is that just man doing man stuff? Is it born of heaven? Is it born of man? Jesus has the audacity to look you in the eyes and say things like this. Make a definitive statement about me. Quit lingering on the fence of who I am and deal with the actual claims that are presented before you. Is God speaking through John or not? Is God working in this church or not? What we just did was called most people with the singing bit. Most people call that worship. I wonder if Jesus would look at you and say, was that heaven coming to earth? Or was that just men singing songs to the ceiling? See, every once in a while, we have to make a definitive decision about what it means to be involved with Jesus. And sometimes he'll come to you and he'll force the issue. What do you think? There are things that as long as you are on the fence about, it has no power in your life. See, the convenience of staying on the fence is it doesn't require any real demands of you. On the fence, you can have one foot in and one foot out. On the fence, we hedge our bets. On the fence, nothing is required. There's no real demand. So we often linger on the fence about things that really matter. But Jesus loves you too much to let you stay on the fence forever. And in his timing, he will often lock eyes with you and demand a judgment. He will demand a statement, a definitive statement. You need to make this choice for yourself. And now this is what he's doing with these people. Now, this idea of committing... (laughs) of being either all in or all out makes many people uncomfortable. Especially, not to like make anyone more uncomfortable than usual, um, younger people tend to have a very real problem with commitment. Uh, For decades now, sociologists and psychologists have noted my generations, which I'm lauding myself in with younger people, deal with it. Um, (laughs) See what I did there? Uh, I'm 40, so, okay. He's, uh, psychologists and sociologists have um, noted my generations and the generations uh, uh, before me are younger than me, their inability to commit to things. Um, like even like simple things like dinner next Friday. Hey, you going to come to dinner? Oh, well, I don't know. I'm not sure if I, maybe if I'll feel like it, right? Like, I don't know if you watch The Office, but uh, one time Ryan, who's the younger person in The Office, is asked to commit to going to something, and he was flabbergasted. He's like, well, you're going to ask me right here to commit? Like, you know, um, like he'd been violated or something like that. Um, my generation in younger of me suffers from a little something called FOMO, fear of missing out. And we often have a very fair-weather approach to life. So mix that with a constant taunting of social media. Mix that with all the opposing information the internet is giving us. Mix that with the exaltation of self-choice in our society. Mix that with the rising levels of anxiety and depression. Throw it all together in a blender. And what you get is a whole lot of people who are not able to commit to anything. Especially for the long haul. According to Tim Elmore, we are a society of artificial maturity and therefore live in a state of paralysis when it comes to being able to commit to something, especially in real life decisions, like what we call adulting, you know? So because Jesus loves you, he will often draw a line in the sand when it comes to himself and say, put your money where your mouth is. He knows that what you think 
on this issue has profound impact on your life. And so he loves you too much to let you stay on the fence forever. He forces the issues with these guys. With these guys. And that's what he's doing. He's forcing them to choose a side. And, the, and look at the way he does it. Like, we would, we would much rather want a direct kind of forcing of this issue. And he doesn't do it that way. He doesn't talk about himself. He talks about some other guy. That's fascinating. Like, wouldn't it be easier if he just, like, struck down lightning from heaven and is like, now, did, I, did God do that? He doesn't do that. He points to this guy that everyone thinks is a wacko. Are you? Hello? And he says, make a definitive statement, not about me, but about him. John the Baptist. This guy that, in reality, you guys have already dismissed. He says, was he from God or not? This crazy guy who called himself a holy man and all the peasants came out to him. See, the problem for these guys, these religious leaders that Jesus is like pulling to the forefront in the only the kind of brilliant way that only he can do, is that these guys has already rejected John the Baptist as crazy. They didn't go get baptized by John. That dude ate too many grasshoppers. He was, he was a weirdo, number one. He was a weirdo, right? Like the packaging was all wrong. That's not what men of God look like. You, Hello? The packaging was wrong. The packaging was wrong. What happens when God tries to talk to you through your spouse? That's the wrong package. No. You, you cannot speak to me through that woman. Right? What happens when God tries to talk to you through the likes of me? Are you telling me there's not a billion things you can point out about me? The fact that I said crap from the pulpit earlier, right? As a reason why you don't have to listen to me? And as a reason why God's not working in this church. You're telling me there's not tons of things you can point to as a reason why you're not, there's nothing's demanded of you when you come to this church and God's not actually working, the spirit of God. Uh, are we, are we going to talk real or are we just going to play church, people? There's a billion things you can point to as to why you, don't, why you don't have to do anything with your life when it comes to Jesus. And most often, it's Christians we point to. It's men of God who fell. And we say, see, it was a sham. You, are we talking here? And this is fascinating what Jesus is doing. He's picking this guy that they had dismissed as a riffraff. And he's saying, was he of God or not? Now, obviously, I think, at least in some ways, Jesus wants to open up your categories as what he can use. See, we often have such narrow categories for what we will allow God to use in our life that we often miss it even when it's right in front of our face. And that is exactly what's happening here. In fact, these dudes, either side of the spectrum, they dismissed. See, John came as an ascetic. He came as with harsh treatment of his body. He was fasting and they said, that dude has a demon. He's a wacko. And Jesus came eating and drinking. You know what they said of Jesus? He's a glutton and a drunkard. He hangs out with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. God was working in differing packages, and they found excuses to dismiss both. And that's exactly what Jesus is pointing out, right? They all of, this is fascinating how this worked. All of the peasants, like the peasants, the gullible people, the unsophisticated masses, they believed John was from God. But the problem, now this double problem, Jesus is so brilliant, is that all of the, the masses, like the unsophisticated, unintelligent people, unintelligent people who went to John to get baptized, they were kind of the religious leader's constituents. And so there's this double pickle here that he put them in. And what does it create in the religious leaders? It creates a paralysis. A paralysis when it comes to what? A paralysis when it comes to acknowledging Jesus' authority. And you know the two things? when they So Jesus asked them the question, and they're like, oh no. So they turn around, they huddle up, 
And they're like, dude, listen, if we, you know, if we say that John was not from God, the people believed he was from God. And so, but, but, we, but we know he wasn't from God. So they turn around, they give him the official answer. Well, we don't know, right? Jesus, Jesus says, uh, you tell me about John, and then I'll tell you about my authority. So they, they powwow, they turn around and say, we don't know. And the two things that they talk about when they powwow is uh, basically, if you think about it, it was the fact that they had not acknowledged that John was from God, and they feared men. So it was past failure, past pride, and fear of man right now. That was the two reasons that kept them from acknowledging that God was at work. And now this, let me just park here for a second. This, in my opinion, hits quite close to home in terms of uh, the packaging. Um, It's remarkable to me. Let me go back to that. Sorry, I got off my notes. It's remarkable to me the criteria that people have um, if God can use something or not. Um, it has to be a certain type of worship song, right? Is it a hymn or, or a not? It has to be a ter- certain type of teaching style in Christian circles. Is it verse by verse or is it thematic? It has to be a certain type of translation for many people if God's at work in it. They'll say things like, you read the, read the message? Well, enjoy reading that in hell because that's the translation they read down there, right? It's, it's interesting. It's interesting how focused many Christians are on delegitimizing people and things, because, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, <laughs> um, it's because we need to delegitimize authority um, when it comes to us. Because if we don't delegitimize it, then something's required of us. And so many Christians spend their whole life delegitimizing the authority of the church, delegitimizing the authority of, of the Bible, uh, of pastors. Um, and in reality, I would like to suggest, suggest to you, it's really not about the thing. It's about your unwillingness to submit to the authority of Jesus. Your unwillingness to say that he knows better than you and that he has a claim on your life, right? Uh, for these guys, it was they, they had already rejected what God was doing in John in the fear of men. Fear, pride and fear caged them in a, a prison of unwillingness. It almost made it impossible for them to acknowledge that God was doing anything around them. Pride and fear, right? So they say, we don't know where John's baptism is from. Official answer, we don't know. So Jesus says, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing. And it's basically like checkmate, bump set, spike, game over, right? And then Jesus rolls into this parable about two two sons. Remember? I'll read this bit for you, okay? We'll get back on course here. What do you think, Jesus said? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard. Today, go work today. Do the thing I created you to do. It's no coincidence that he's talking about a a garden, a vineyard, like in the Garden of Eden. And he's saying, take action, rise, obey, today, right now, act, do. Do the thing I created you to do, tend the garden. And the first son said, I will not. No. But afterward, the son changed his mind and he went. Now, he went to the other son. He had two sons. And he said the same. Go, work, today, take action. Participate in real life. Obey. Same call to action. Same thing. And he said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Now, Jesus looks at these guys and says, which of the two did the will of the father? And they said, the first. It was very clear to them. And then Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, 
The tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe him. Context is crucial here. Where is Jesus and who is he talking to? Well, in this one, he's at church. And he's speaking to religious leaders. The parable of the two sons is given at the temple. And the people who are questioning him are religious leaders. And what's the subject of the questioning? The authority of Jesus. Who do you think you are? All of that matters in this context. He is speaking here to people who think they know God. People who think they're on the right side of the issue, right? These are the orthodox of their day. The guys who think they live right, talk right, think right, worship right, sing right, read the right kind of books. He's talking to a people who had a deep confidence in the fact that they were right. And they had a certain list of things that they were pointing to to prove it, okay? And, then he, and so that's who he's talking to. And then he tells this story about two sons. The first son is openly rebellious, The first son says no to the father's faith. It's shameful. There's no doubt about it. The second son stands up with a kind of bravado and gusto and obvious kind of loud declared obedience. Um, And I could be reading into it, but maybe a little bit of performance. Notice the second son calls him sir. The second son knows how to talk to authority. He knows how to talk in the right way to authority. Right? He uses the language. Uh, but the really interesting thing about Jesus' parable is that the one who declared yes with his mouth, in reality and in the end, declared no with his life. And the one who declared no with his mouth, in reality and in the end, said yes with his life. What does this mean for us? Well, Jesus seems to see through our religious smoke screens straight to our hearts, and he says, listen, there are those who say they follow me who say yes, but really live no. There are things that you can point to to prove that you're following Jesus. And some of the things that we point to are as cheap as words and as thin as the air you breathe out of your mouth. And Jesus can see right through it. And he's dealing here, y'all, with the ever-present slippery slope that really is only a slippery slope for Christians. This is not a danger for non-believers. Jesus is pointing to something that I think many cultural Christians do, which is we pacify our conscience with good words and good intentions so that we can live our life however we want. Let me tell you how I do it as a pastor. (laughs) It's like when I pass someone on the side of the road or like someone asking for money, like a car broken down and you like see a family and you like see the kids sitting in the shade or like there's this guy walking or maybe someone's begging for money and I'm riding with someone who like goes to my church and so obviously I'm at an impasse here, right? I gotta do something. And so I, I say to the person in the car with me, oh man, <gasps> did you see them? My heart just breaks for them. Oh, you know, bummer, I was in the left lane. <sighs> You know, I missed it. We missed it, didn't we? Ah, we'll get it. Lord, send help. And then I turn up my Christian podcast. What did I just do? I put on a very convincing show that that I'm the kind of person who submits to the compassion of God. I'm the kind of person who, who obeys, but I didn't actually have to do anything. 
It was a tip of the hat to God's authority, but no real submission to it. Uh, this is why many people have called seminary cemetery. I don't agree with this, but there's a very real sentiment, especially in people who were saved in the 70s and the Jesus movement, that seminary is where you go to acclimate yourself to the idea that talking about the authority of Scripture is just the same, if not better, than actually submitting to the authority of Scripture. And they have a good point. It's really easy to confuse the two, isn't it? Isn't it easy to confuse the fact that you can talk about God in an intelligible way with the fact that you, in, in reality, don't actually submit to him in any real way in your life? Isn't it so easy to confuse those things? Don't you think me, as a guy up here preaching, don't you think this is terrifying to me? What do you think I walk away from on Sundays thinking that was a good Sunday? Well, I articulated clearly. Everyone seemed to understand. I talked about the Bible, and everyone was like, yeah, thank you so much. That was great. How tempting is it for me to think after a day like today, I can go home and live however I want to live? What's the list do you think I'm tempted to look at? Do you know how convenient it is if Christianity is only about how you talk about the Bible? That's so convenient. You know how easy it is to get up here and just talk? Let me just talk to you about how you should love your kids and then go home and yell at mine. And then, but, the, but you see how easy it is to confuse this. It doesn't matter if you lead small group. It doesn't matter what you do. Jesus is pointing out a very real threat, a very real temptation if you call yourself a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you're off the hook because you're probably not going to pretend like you're more spiritual than you are. You're probably just going to be honest about it. It's Christians who tend to want to act and talk more spiritual than they really are. Now, listen, I love this church. I love Christians. I think you need to realize something about, it, about this church and about Christians in general. It was often to religious people that Jesus had the most difficult things to say. Jesus seemed to have it out for people who had adopted superficial forms of following him. And he put a fine point on it, didn't he? By telling a story about someone who said yes, but lived no, and someone who lived no, wait, no, lived yes, but said no. I probably got that backwards. I don't know. I'll go listen to the podcast if I got it right. What's the, what's the fundamental thing Jesus is pointing out? He's saying it's totally possible to confuse. It's totally possible to be looking at the wrong thing when it comes to what makes you a Christian. You can be saying yes and living no. Jesus is making aware of a very real possibility that in, even in the center of religious activity, we can be living like this. Sometimes, y'all, let me just talk, chat with you for a second. Sometimes we've made commitments in our past with Jesus. We've had very real encounters with Jesus, and we've said yes to him. It's heartfelt. It was real, but it was 20 years ago. And often we think we can coast off of obedience from 20 years ago. But if you think you can coast off of obedience, if you can coast off when you, when you said yes 20 years ago, I just want to suggest to you, you may wake up one day realizing that your life is actually full of rebellion against God, despite the fact that you volunteer every week. Because there's a fundamental difference that Jesus is trying to draw before us today, line out before us, and it's about authority. It's about who you really believe is in charge. See, the two sons, the reality is that they both had different perspectives on the authority of God. The first one rebelled in word, but submitted in life. The second submitted in word, but rebelled in life. And it came down to acknowledging who was really in charge over their life. And, the, at, and at Jesus' question, which two did the Father's will? It's very interesting. Um, if I were to ask you today, are you living in God's will? Are, are you a Christian? Do you, do you do God's will? 
Some of us might be really confused, right? Well, that's a tricky question, Pastor. I don't know. What's, I mean, what's, who knows the will of God, right? You know, Many of us would be confused if I ask you this question, are you doing God's will in your life? It's interesting that no one was confused in Jesus's, in this story. No one's confused. They all knew immediately. It's clear. It was the first one, right? Um, I think sometimes when we point to intellectual areas of our life to convince us, or when we talk a lot about God, it can confuse the waters. And we begin to think that, yeah, I'm a Christian and I live a Christian life. And, but when G, but with, if I were to ask you, are, are you actually, like in your heart, like let's say you go to small group, right? And you just run your mouth the whole time because you know a lot about the Bible, right? And then afterward, I were to ask you, okay, but do you actually submit to those things that you were talking about? Or even if you asked me today, when I got done doing a really great job preaching, and you said, hey, I, my question for you is, do you actually submit to those things that you were talking about? Like, I don't know about you, it would cause me and probably cause you to stop for a second and be like, well, actually, uh, it might even cause you to feel a bit disoriented, right? And listen, Jesus has no desire for you to have uncertainty. Jesus has no desire for you to live in uncertainty. He wants to make it clear. In this, in this story, no one is confused. The crowd could easily see it. And that's the thing, y'all. The thing about our own lives, the thing about where we really live is that other people can often see it before we see it. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's giving them a clear example of rebellion, and they can see it. But they can see it in someone else, but they can't see it in themselves. There is such a thing as self-deception, and it exists in the center of Christian religious life. And Jesus loves you too much to allow you to go your life deceived, thinking that you followed him when you really don't thinking that you're submitting to him when it's clear to everyone else you're not, right? And it's often the things we say that create the confusion in our lives. Other people can see it simple and clear, but because we fill the air with intellectual Christianese, we get confused. And Jesus wants you to know deep in your heart, this is where you need to look, not to your words, not to how you talk, but to how you live, right? And this is something that terrifies guys like me. Jesus says, you cannot look at what you say no matter how eloquently you say it, as to whether or not you're in the kingdom. For the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but of power, right? So the first son, wrapping up here, the first son may have been openly rebellious, but he had one quality that the other son didn't have. He knew what he was saying yes or no to, and he knew what it meant. You see this? What, what was the difference here? The second son thought he could say yes and still hold on to his life. The second son thought he could say, could, could say intellectual, could give intellectual assent to something, but he thought he could still ultimately stay in charge of his life. The first son knew that was not on the table. The second son thought, I can enter the kingdom and still be king. The first son knew that was not an option. We chatting? Uh, Jesus said things like, hey, you know when someone goes to war or builds a project, you know, he should first be sure he can actually do it, he can actually follow through. And he was talking about following him. Now, let me just give you one interesting thing, then we'll get out of here. We have many, we have many modern examples of intellectual non-Christians, atheists, agnostics, refusing Christianity um, in a very perceptive and clear-eyed way. Can I tell you one in specifically? Um, <clears throat> Aldous Huxley uh, wrote A Brave New World. 
Dude was not a Christian, okay? Um, he refused Christianity. Can I read to you something that he said about Christianity? As to why he came to the conclusions he came to? He says, The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with the problem in pure metaphysics. In other words, he's not just concerned with ideas and intellectual things. He's also concerned to prove that there is no valid reason why he should personally not do whatever he wants to do. For myself, as no doubt for most of my friends, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to Christian morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. We have to appreciate his honesty. He's saying, I don't believe in God because I want to live however I want to live. He says, I wanted to have sex with who I wanted to have sex with. And if there is a God, I would be subjected to his moral standards. So I have to go about the process of delegitimizing that God. He also wrote this. The petition, thy kingdom come has a necessary and unavoidable corollary, which is, our kingdom go. The condition of complete illumination is complete purging. Bro is not a Christian. Have no evidence that he in any way decided to follow Jesus at any point in his life, and yet saw the issue more clearly than many Christians. He knew what he was saying no to. He was honest about it. And Jesus, in some ways, is saying, I'd prefer that than you saying yes to something with your mouth and saying no to something with how you live. He's saying, you have to count the cost of what it means to be a disciple. Aldous Huxley, a non-Christian, is saying, if God's kingdom is going to come, it means that your kingdom has to go. He saw it more clearly than many Christians see it. It's fascinating, isn't it? And this is exactly the dynamic that Jesus is pulling out. So what can be said as we close? Jesus wants you to know it's very possible to say yes and live no. It's possible to coast from obedience from 10 years ago and like a slow drift, slowly stop acknowledging Jesus' authority over your life. Second, he wants you to know where you have to look. It's not to what you say. It's not to your intentions. It's to whether or not you're actually yielding to the will of the Father in any real way. So as we close, and as we sit with this very challenging scripture, which I hope you have been challenged by the words of Jesus today, I want to pray for us. And the way that I want to pray for us is I want to offer a prayer of repentance for myself and maybe for you, for saying yes with my life but living no in so many unseen areas. So if you, in your heart today, have come to realize that you've been saying yes but living no, I just want to pray a prayer that you can get in on right now of repentance before God. Let's pray.